Mayana Larsen is a senior lecturer at the Department of Thematic Studies. In this episode, she shares her LIU story, how she ended up here, the struggles she met, but also some tips to anyone who is on their way to LIU. This is Work at LIU. My name is Priya. Hi, and welcome to the podcast Work at LIU. Thank you. I've invited you to this episode because I want to talk to you about your journey to Lin Shopping University. Obviously, everyone's journey is a little bit different and we want to hear from you now. Uh, so can you just tell me a little bit about your background, where you're from, uh, your academic background, a little bit about that? Sure. Well, I am from Denmark. I grew up in Denmark till I was 16. and. Uh, Everything was Danish about me until I moved abroad, first to France and went to high school there. And then I moved to the US when I was 19. And I lived uh, basically half, until four years ago, half of my adult life in the US and the other half in Brazil. Okay. Uh, so I, yeah. And um, so I lived about 16 years in both places, in both places. And uh, then I, took a leave from a permanent position in Brazil uh, as, a, as a federal researcher in the Earth System Science Center of the Brazilian Institute of Space Research. Very exotic, I suppose, uh, which is where they do the satellite imaging uh, for Brazil, estimating the deforestation rates. So it's a very sort of hot seat place right now. Um, then I won some time out, uh, actually back towards my roots. And uh, at first I landed in the Netherlands at Wageningen University. And then I came here for a permanent position uh, in Tema. You have a lot of international experience, I can hear. And we'll come back to that. Um, like, How did you end up at Tema and what are you doing there? Right. Um, well, it's a, it's, there's a story, longer story to it, actually. Um, and I, I did not mention my background in terms of academics, but I am a cultural anthropologist and, uh, but, and study the, the, the social political dimensions of global environmental change. And especially understanding the role of culture in how in, in different understandings of the problems and also both culture and politics in how we conceive of the solutions or how to respond to these major existential environmental risks. So um, I started early on that uh, when I was doing my PhD. Uh, and, um, and so I was one of the sort of early social scientists working in the area of climate. And so um, actually researchers from Tema reached out to me in the early 2000s, around 2004 or five, Gunilla um, Urbeck at the time, and called me here for a proposal that they wanted to submit to Mistra uh, for, because they did not have expertise in climate. So they pulled me in from abroad. Um, I did not know her before. And then we wrote a proposal and it was actually successful and it led to the creation of the center for science uh, policy research, which is the center that you know is is, is part of Tema, under Tema, 
And so I had this history that was back in 2005. I was actually affiliated with Tema uh, while being in Brazil, doing research in Brazil. And then I, so I knew already here. And when I was then, and then I heard about this position here, someone reached out and said, this would be perfect for you. And indeed the timing was really good for me. And uh, so I'm sort of back to my roots, uh, yeah. close to family in Copenhagen. And um, so that's the story and the, the, and the fit also just being very good, of course, partly, you know, I, anyway, uh, it's not so easy to find uh, departments that do environmental research that also are very open and really centrally integrate critical perspectives on, on, on sort of dominant understandings of, of what development is, you know, what sustainable development is and, and, and how to approach these big problems. And this is one of the places in the world that actually does that. So it's a very nice fit. Very good fit then. Um, as I understand it, you moved here with your family. And how was that transition for them? Obviously, like you've lived in different countries. Now, I don't know if they've moved like you've had the family all along, uh, but how was it for them to move to Sweden? Did um, you prepare in any way or? Yes, for, for all of us, I suppose. I mean, I have to say, I have moved around so much and now I've been dragging my unit with me uh, from Brazil to the Netherlands and then up here. And it's not ideal for, you know, I have a daughter who's 10 um, and, uh, you know, you have the challenge of new language. So my daughter, she already speaks, she's fluent in Portuguese, English, and Dutch, and she struggled to learn Dutch and now it has to be Swedish. So, you know, it's not without some pain, you know, leaving friends and, and all that. Um, so, you know, but it had to, had to happen. And then, you know, with time, I find that you need some years and then, you know, it becomes your home. So it's a process. It's not that easy. Um, I think moving is always a little painful. <laughs> and I've done so much of it in my life. Um, of course, in my case, it was also, we know, we look to Brazil, um, which we love in many ways, but it's become a very troubled place. So we all feel very fortunate to now have a permanent place um, in a place that's not so, so you know, tragically um, sort of structured right now in terms of its politics and what's going on there. So, so we feel fortunate to be, to be here. Yeah. Um, I was thinking, uh, you said like, okay, a new country, a new language. You probably knew, still remember Danish from when you were younger and you have your family quite close now in Copenhagen like it's only a train train ride from uh, from Linköping mm -hmm. um, so I'm thinking that's obviously something that you see as something positive but did you meet any other like hardships or struggles when you moved here apart from like the family having to adapt to yet another country but was there anything else that you felt like oh I wish I knew this or why is this so hard um, well, it was very difficult because of Corona. Uh, yeah. So I wasn't. We were not able to move here before. I was sent the contract, and then there were still prohibitions or great hurdles to traveling. Uh, I did not have my my shots. Uh, my vaccinations were not done until um, sometime the latter part of, in July. 
So that meant that I could not just rush to Sweden and, you know, and then you have two weeks after that where you still don't have your passport. So I basically started this position without having had the opportunity to come here before. And of course, that's for one, you know, it would have been nice to have seen it. I was here just many years before and, and don't know it well, but also setting up things uh, like a requesting a person number. Uh, the, the personal number uh, is so crucial to everything. Yeah. Um, and when your partner is, my partner is Brazilian, and so he does not have easy access here as a European citizen. Um, and uh, so that is an extra dimension, which was very difficult to figure out, actually. I could not, you know, those two things together. So, so if you don't have a person number, if I don't have a person number, then or none of us do, then we can't get just the most basic things like uh, an internet uh, contract. I mean, so we were, you know, so things are very, you can't really do anything without that. You can't get your child and easily submit it to anything, you can't, etc. So that's for me, and now I've managed that for my daughter and myself, but my partner is still somewhere in limbo because, um, and this is another thing, just when you, you know, when you get this, you get an offer for a job, and then you're supposed to figure out everything on yourself, on your, by yourself, basically. Um, HR will send you a link to, you know, the tax authorities and to the immigration, but then you're just on your own to figure it out. And it's very, very perplexing. And you, there's so many things you don't know, like, should I apply together with my partner or should I apply first because that might facilitate my acceptance and then I can ask for him afterwards. What does that mean for him in terms of can he be here? Um, what does that mean in terms of health insurance? Because until you get that uh, social security number, you're not in the system, so you don't have health insurance. How does that work out when you are in the Netherlands? So we had all of these things in the Netherlands, but in the Netherlands, you can't be insured for health insurance if you're not living there. So there's this limbo existence uh, that we don't have much guidance for, and it's still perplexing. And until I got my personal number, which I only, which has been taken, they advised up to, um, did they say 18 weeks? 16, 18 weeks 18 during weeks. Corona, yeah. Um, so I could only apply for that in July, right? So it's taken a long time. And until then, I can't even check on his status. I can't because you need a bank ID in order to check on the website what the status is. And I could not get a bank account until I had the personal number. And actually, you need more than the personal number. You need to, after that, also get a little plastic card identity. And if without that, you can't even open a bank account. So it takes a long time to get into the system. Um, and that also means things like when you have an international existence, unless you're in the EU or in countries that have uh, treaties with Sweden, um, or even to find out about that, you, you, you need to be in the system to know what your pension, for example, will be. You can't even know that. So you have to make a decision on a job offer without knowing what it really implicates for you um, in terms of your long term. You know, can I afford to stay here or, you know, would I have to move back to Brazil to 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 have a pension? So there's some pretty major things that you're left with to figure out, often while you're still having a job and lots of other things going on. Yeah. Um, adding to that is then also these troubles of finding a, a housing 
housing is very difficult. It's of course difficult if you are far away, you don't know any of the neighborhoods, you don't know where you want to live, you don't know where it's good, where it's safe, where it's, you don't know where your child is going to go to school because, um, and this was even more a delayed process to find out because in Sweden, um, and no one really told me about it, it took me a while to realize before coming that she, they have this Muttagelsinheten, yeah. which is the uh, recipient entity, um, I guess would be the translation into English, which is um, a school, which is temporary, where, where so new children, sort of immigrants um, from anywhere outside of Brazil, go to this school, a temporary school, and they stay there for around eight weeks, or up to eight weeks, and they're, they're evaluated for all sorts of things. It's actually really nice because they check on the health status, they in, in quite some depth, and, and um, you know, which I, I think is very, very wise, you know, as children come from very many different sometimes, some from war-torn, you know, areas of the world. So there is someone who actually looks at, you know, not only vaccines, but is your spine curved or, you know, lots of things. And they give nice lunches and they get a nice reception. My daughter, she really liked that. She came home the first day and she said, I love that school. I wish I could stay there forever. Um, but it takes eight weeks where you don't know where your child is actually going afterwards, unless you have figured that out on your own. But I, you know, I understood that anyway, it's a longer story of what level your, your school, your, what grade your child is. And, and um, yeah, there's some other things there about that the communication was not great because I thought she was there for being evaluated. Um, but in fact, they, here in Sweden, they simply put a child by age. So if she's 10, then she's in the fourth grade. And it does not matter whether she's a year ahead in math or anything else. And that actually happens, not just for me and also other cases that I know of. And then in Sweden, the children just get put according to age and not according to their level, which is not very good because you kind of risk losing a year of schooling. And in some parts of the world, schooling is very expensive. I know a family from Lebanon, I mean, they've been playing private school and all their, their children are now one year below what they actually are capable of. If they go back to Lebanon, then the children will have lost out on a year of schooling, which is very expensive and, you know, not good for the children. So, but anyway, all of that to say, you have this eight, this time as well, before you can know where you actually ideally would live, you know, so you find out after, you know, weeks and, you know, two months maybe of being here, where your child will go to school. And and then you can begin to figure out where you should stay. But then there's just no housing. You know, you basically have to, you know, purchase one, especially if you have a dog, or then it's very difficult to find, even more limited uh, what you can get in terms of housing. So the whole housing situation is really a major thing. Um, and there are some rentals, and so one recommendation I would give to people, being people's, I was told, oh, sign up for all these different housing company, companies that offer housing for rentals. And um, I think a little more orientation for, for everyone would be helpful because the reason why you sign up is because it's discouraging. You sign up and then you're told, well, you get one point uh, per day on this housing list. And 
Um, and so, and, and then you have to have thousands of points to actually qualify for apartments, especially you know, sort of the good apartments. So you're like, wow, I won't get a house for a very long time. And then you, you know, but then there are actually other companies that have a different system, which is on lottery. Uh, and sometimes there are not so many people going after it. So you should actually really sign up on all of these lists and all of these companies. And so I think, you know, a little more guidance uh, about how those systems work and how they're different across would be would be helpful because it's a bit perplexing and discouraging um, as, as you know, when you come here. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure the university can do uh, more. Uh, when it comes to guidance and all of that and i know they are working on it um, a lot uh, especially at the international office but also at the university things take time <laughs> and and that's uh, that's unfortunate but um, and it's really good to hear as well like straight from the source well, what uh, that we are on the right path but also like a bit more detail what we can do um, Moving on to, like you said, Denmark, Brazil, the Netherlands. What are the main differences from, like, between Sweden and the countries that you've lived in? Uh, if you could, uh, in the academic world or just culturally, hmm. can you? Is, is there anything you were like, oh, this is different? Well, that's a very broad question, um, <laughs> and of course. Comparing things to Brazil, you know, then I would put the Netherlands and Sweden quite together. You know, it's things are so organized, and uh, um, not that everything is not organized, but in Brazil you have a very, very cumbersome bureaucracy. Um, so it's also that. So I was a federal researcher. Every time a federal researcher in Brazil has to do foreign travel, even if it's paid by, you know, by others, not by Brazil, not by Brazil's government, you have an extremely cumbersome process. And actually your request, you have to account for every night, every day, every expense that you have. And then your request has to be submitted uh, at least three weeks or a month earlier. And it has to be signed by the very Minister of Science and Technology in Brazil. The federal minister actually has to sign it. So it's huge bureaucracy and, you know, sometimes you spend, anyway, it's complicated. Um, and you can't tag on anything to visit anyone other, you know, unless you can account for it or have official business that justifies it. So it's a very complicated um, situation. And, um, and that's just one example or not having secretaries who, who speak English uh, or get adequate salaries. I don't know what they're in Sweden, but in Brazil, it's the lowest bidder gets the job automatically. And so we have absolute minimum wage secretaries who have, you know, are, are just given a wage that you can't live on. And, you know, and they, not that they are necessarily incompetent, but of course this creates all sorts of, you know, consequences. So as a researcher, you have to do so much to, you know, because you can't count on a, a bureaucracy that supports you. So this is something people don't think about. When you're a researcher abroad, you have so many extra challenges that takes off your time um, and also then translate into, you know, your level of productivity often. I mean, not always, but it, it, it certainly takes a toll. 
So if you can't compensate for that in other ways by having lots of PhDs or whatever, then that takes a toll. Um, just to give some examples, you know, bureaucracy is a major, um, major issue there. So it's amazing to me in places where things work so well. It's hard to get into the systems, like in the Netherlands and here, just with the person number and all these things. But once you're in, things are really, really easy and it's amazing. Um, I mean, something like buying a house in Brazil, you know, I have to say, unfortunately, that so many in that process are out to get you and take advantage of you, especially if you're a foreigner. Um, so it's a headache, headache, headache. In the Netherlands or in Sweden, you buy something, you don't need a lawyer, you just you basically just sign with your eyes closed because it's, it's, it's all so um, structured. You know, it's the same documents for everyone and, you know, it's just the same process, which is not in, in a place like Brazil was not for me. <laughs> so uh, those are some examples. So life do get does get easier, uh, much easier. And, uh, and there's the personal safety aspect. You know, a child in Brazil um, is, you know, in my case, inside a gated community um, and you are fearful of your child uh, if it ventures outside of there. So it's a different, very different existence than when your child can get on a bicycle and bike around and go to their friends by themselves, which gives it's so important to a child um, to, to have that freedom. It's easy for us to take to a granted when we're adults because we know how to navigate and drive and all that. But for a child to have that is, is really, really good. Also for their perceptions, you know, growing up with a great social inequality in Brazil is painful and it's, um, you know, if you're then around the elite, it's not necessarily good for your child's head to see the world from, you know, from the cultures that yeah. pervade at the higher levels in a society with one of the highest levels of inequality. So there are these downsides to being even elite in Brazil. Yeah. Sounds good that Sweden uh, is better than <laughs> that has met like the expectations or maybe exceeded your expectations in that sense and as you said like uh, I've spoken to a lot of people international people who said that thing about Pashunomer and it's like once you get it once you're in it's like ah everything's great but just those weeks before you're in the system it's kind of hard but once you're in the system you can start benefiting from it uh, in different ways, and it feels like it opens up so much. Yes, um, yes, certainly. So we've we've spoken for quite some time now, so I want to ask you one last question. Uh, if a new international member of staff is uh, on their way to join uh, Lynch Shopping University anytime soon, what advice can you give them? Uh, I mean, so, like I said, signing up for all the housing sites possible. Um, I think that's a major one. Uh, try to visit before and so you know where you're going. It's very difficult to move if you haven't been there. Um, I think those are those are particularly yeah th those are the two major things that I would that I would, um, would say. Yeah, and I think that's a really great tip uh, because you can tell firsthand uh, what what was most um, struggling like the most struggle struggle something for you so that sounds good yes well thank you very much for joining me today and for talking to me about your journey to Lynn Shopping University my pleasure thank you
Thank you. You have listened to Work at LIU with me, Priya, and this episode's guest, Mayana Larsen. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss future episodes. Thank you.